I was like, Joe Biden could stand in the middle of Compton and shoot Kendrick Lamar in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and I would be like, well, Kendrick should have been ducking shit. <laughs> Joe still got my bow. <laughs> <laughs> His ass should have been bobbing and weaving like um Rick on Rick on Stark. Shit. <laughs> don't run, don't run straight. Like don't Kendrick. run straight, buddy. Right. You said Kendrick from Company. Know what it is. Yeah. So we're gonna see. It's like I'm like, if if you never if people never understood vote or die, because that's when I came up, like the 90s was, you know, the vote or die movement, everybody, you know, voting for Al Gore. Was, you know, we saw, we saw how that went. We saw how that went. Thanks, Diddy. Um, but that that slogan vote or die is what this year right here really is what vote or die like legitimately okay <laughs> all right y'all ready yes welcome everyone to another episode of four layer takes we are still in our coverage of the watchmen this will be a special episode we are covering episodes two and three of the watchmen so uh Get ready, get ready, get ready as we get into it. I'm your girl, Kim. It's me, me, me. It's your girl, Mel. Uh, this is your boy, Marcus, a.k.a. Brianna Taylor again. Um, today will be a good day if you just reach out and contact the Kentucky AD and let them know it's time to arrest Brett, what is it, Brett Hakinson, John Mattingly, and um, Miles Cosgrove for murder or assassination, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> they marched to the AD's house today. I mean, uh, and, yeah. And shout out to uh, all the protesters that went out when the mayor uh, was speaking the other day. He was having a speech, and all the protesters came up behind that fool. And I mean, that that was some smooth protesting right there. I like the way I I love to see it. Them motherfuckers creeped in like um, red <laughs> in a in a. <laughs> uh, them motherfuckers just creeped in like. <laughs> Shit. I was like, where is this dude's security? Because he's full. There was like 30, 40 people just talking behind him. Like, hey, guys, like, we're here. You going to do this. So right. good looking out for that, for those people that um, are still out there in the streets, marching every day uh, for Black Lives and uh, definitely uh, arrest the, the cops who murdered Breonna Taylor, please. Yeah. Um, um, right. But picking up where Kim left today, we are going to recap episodes two and three of the HBO miniseries Watchmen, um, which is, of course, based off the graphic novel by um, Alan Moore and David Gibbons. And then, of course, the show is written or co-written by, uh, what's the name, David Fincher and starring Regina King. Not Regina Hall. <laughs> it was <laughs> Daniel Lindelof. <laughs> David Lindelof. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to hop into episode two, where we open up, uh, where you kind of see where the German soldiers are uh, raining down propaganda on the black soldiers, um, U.S. soldiers, talk, you know, basically saying, you know, why are you in America, you're done very badly, people, you know, you're black and you're here fighting, you know, democracy isn't uh, working for you. So it's really anti-democratic or anti-democracy propaganda that they were writing down in these pamphlets to the black soldiers. And OB, who we met last episode um, as the father of the little boy that was sent away, uh, is one of those soldiers that had uh, got, you know, kept one of those notes. And he wrote the please watch over this boy note on the back of that pamphlet that he had kept from when he come back from war. 
So that's kind of how we open up the scene, seeing him, uh, seeing the, the U.S. Uh, soldiers march um, when uh, they were overseas. Then we kind of open up to Angela. As we remember last episode, she had um, gone and seen where the chief was hung um, by his neck. And this old man was there like, oh, I hung your chief. You know, I killed him. But he's in a wheelchair and he's very old and fra fragile. So... Angela opens the scene with her taking him back to her bakery. Um, as we remember, it is a front for her being a policeman. Um, we find out that this old man was that little boy and that his name is Will um, that we saw from episode one and that he's actually 105 years old. He has these pills that he said helped him with his memory. And it seems like he doesn't feel pain kind of like everybody else. He can kind of touch hot things and drink hot things without flinching. So I kind of feel like, oh, there's something kind of crazy and different about this old man. And he tells her, you know, uh, I, the reason I killed your chief is because he has skeletons in his closet and that there is a vast and insidious um, conspiracy in Tulsa. And uh, just take a little bit back from episode one, how that tied in. When Will was a little boy in that opening scene um, in Tulsa during the massacre, he was watching a movie about Bass Reeves on the screen. And Bass, Re Bass, Bass Reeves um, in that uh, movie got the bad sheriff. He goes and he snatches him out. And he takes him to the townspeople and he recites that line. He had skeletons in his closet. So that was a cool tie in from episode one and episode two. So do you guys have anything that you want to talk through a little bit about kind of that opening scene and all the things that kind of revealed with Angela and Will from that opening? Kim? Interesting is that Will Reeves mm -hmm. is um, a made up name. Um, he took Reeves' last name from Reeves after his parents were um, killed in the massacre. So I just thought, I was like, oh, well, look mm -hmm. at that little tidbit yeah. there. What I, what, I, I, what I wanted to discuss was that the opening scene where the um, Nazi propaganda is falling down from the sky. And then, like, I can only imagine as, like, a soldier in the army at that time, like, of you're, you're treated like a second-class citizen in your own country. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, Trump, Hitler's, my bad, misspoke, Hitler, Hitler, Trump, whatever. Um, he's saying he can, he, he, his, he'll treat you better. But I wonder if, like, that internal conflict is, like, like something that infantry men and policemen and women today have a conflict with, you know, like, Black Lives Matter and then that whole Blue Lives Matter bullshit. Uh, I don't know. I don't know any. The policemen that I know or that I'm associated with personally are all white uh, cops and vice and people that are on the vice squad. So I don't know. I, I, I don't. Mm -mm. Uh, it seems like to me what we're dealing with right now is police against people of color, like be it black, a black police or a white police. It seems like police and the people of color are being demonized. We are the bad ones, no matter what. Yeah. If you come up, if you see our black boys, our, our brown boys, you put your hand on your gun and they're just playing basketball. So to me, in my mind, it's black, brown equals bad, evil, robbers, killers, rapers. No matter what color you are in the blue, you still have on your blue. To wow. me. Okay. That's I mean, how I see it. That's how I see it. But I'm not, again, I'm not, I'm not a member of the, of the police force, but that's how that's how I see it. Well, John Singleton pointed that out so precisely in Boys in the Hood decades mm -hmm. ago, with the, the black officer being the worst perpetrator of the two. So, yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think you and I think you play with that in um, 
uh, uh, something more modern with Straight Outta Compton. Like if Straight Outta Compton, uh, the underlying in that movie really is police brutality. That's the under, that's like the current in that whole entire movie, even though we're talking about rappers and some people that we, we're following this storyline about something that we saw really happen in, in, in history or during our time. But the undercurrent really is if you, every, almost every single scene is connected, major scene is connected by uh, police, bruta- police brutality in Los Angeles. So that's uh, just another modern day. So that's how I see it. But I don't know, maybe we, if we knew somebody that was an African-American yeah. or a black around cop, but I don't know. No, I, I mean, I just, feel like, I just feel like we all have layers to our identity. And I, and I know like people of color that are policemen, like mm-hmm. I, I understand that being a policeman, that's a part of your identity. So that must, but you're also a person of color. But so there has to be a conflict of interest there, unless, like you said, maybe they they chosen us out already. I don't know, Kim. Did you I mean, have in the show about the conflict, it is something that we will see later. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. How how this gets played out um, in terms of being a black cop in this in this society or in this world how are you, how are you able to kind of different differentiate between being black and being a cop or how those things go together i think we see this yes yes later yes yeah yeah, yeah. okay that's good so we have a really co- a cool opening scene and it just kind of tied back into episode one really nicely so I'm just going to do one quick blip about um, we we see some uh, a newsstand kind of opening and they're getting the newspapers out for the day and we see a young Asian girl get out of a car and she goes and picks up like a stack of newspapers and the newspaper guy gives them to her and he says does she really read all of these and the little girl says yes you know she does and she gets back in her car and I love it because it's just a scene that's not attached to anything else. So I just wanted to call that out as something that we need to keep in our minds uh, that this uh, young girl goes and gets these newspapers. And we do know, um, uh, I, I don't remember who called it out last episode, but that they don't have the internet um, in this world that we're inhabiting. So it's not like they can just go online and Google like what's going on with the news. So I really like that. So just I keep wish, that on the back of mind. I wish we had the internet. <laughs> not me, I want the internet. Please, I mean, please keep the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I need the internet. <laughs> okay. okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay. So the next scene we see Sister Knight arrive um, on the crime scene, um, and everybody has to re- rem- remember that she she has been to the crime scene already and has picked up Wheel, but nobody else knows this. So she gets to the crime scene, and the first person that she sees is the Looking Glass, who kind of hops in the car with her, and he's he's like I said in my notes that he's kind of been debriefing her and interrogating her at the same time because he's ask, asking her lead uh, questions that kind of lead to other things but then he's kind of telling her what's going on and she has to play like she doesn't know like she just found out like everybody else that the captain was murdered and uh something I called out during this scene she says you know looking glass you a cold motherfucker and that like mm. Stuck with me, and I laughed because I love that she said that in that car. Like it just, it was just perfect the way she said it was cool. So I like mm-hmm. she said it right after um, she said something about she her having the kids at the party. He went, hmm, yo kids, <laughs> your kids, <laughs> like, yes. Cold. Which, was, 
<laughs> yeah. Like, which we're gonna get to, yeah, which we're going to get to. And then he admitted that he was, you know, crying under his mask because it, it is affecting him as well that their captain was killed. So, but you never see his eyes because they, you know, he could only pull it up so much. So um, I, I like the way that scene was because it was him kind of interrogating her as well as him debriefing her. Um, during this scene, we also see Angela flash back to something that we uh, alluded to last episode called the White Knight, where the, Cal the Seventh Cavalry went and they killed a lot of policemen. And through this flashback, we see her and Cal's um, kind of what happened to them that night. And I'm just going to go do a brief overview and we can kind of go into it. So what we see is Angela and Cal in their living room and they're kind of dancing. It's Christmas Eve and they're kind of enjoying themselves and they hear something. Angela, who is just badass tonight from beginning to end. Um, she was like, oh, she goes into Mo. She gets her rifle out of the um, um, out the bedroom and she's ready to, you know, be locked and loaded about to kill whoever. You see her get shot in the stomach and she goes down and kind of blacks out as one of these seven cavalry people are over her. You don't see Cal. We don't know what happens to him. And the next scene you see is that she's opening her eyes in the hospital. And Chief, um, um, what is his name? J uh, Judd is Judd. there. Judd is there, uh, Croft, I'm sorry, Chief Crawford is there in the hospital, and he lets her know, uh, you know, if 48 policemen got killed that night, um, it, uh, his wife is okay, but her partner Doyle and his wife were murdered, and their three kids were actually the only, the only survivors in their house because their son got the little girls, got the baby and his other uh, little sister and took them and hid them basically to keep them alive. And then that's how we kind of figure out that Doyle's kids, her partner, have, uh, those are the kids that she has, uh, she and Cal are raising as her kids. Um, and then you kind of just see her trying to process this, all this information about what's happening. You know, she knows her husband's alive. Um, how she doesn't, is, you know, what's happening and what's going on. She's just trying to process all this in real time and not giving herself time to like, process it in a way where she's hysterical she's just being like okay this is what's happened i can't cry right now i gotta figure out how we fuck these people up um so that's kind of how this scene unfolds so you guys want to um say anything about it because it was it was a badass scene that we saw about the white knight well that's that's the scene where we were talking about last uh, or at least for me last episode where we were kind of like what the fuck is up with cal like where yeah. is this dude where'd he go <laughs> what happened <laughs> So yeah, that's when I was first like, eh, I don't know what's up with this dude, but uh, you know, yeah. if you give me more sex scenes, I'll keep watching. No, one hundred percent. Please save Cal's life. Right. <laughs> no, um, like well, exactly what uh, Mimi mentioned. Like I like when I first saw that scene, I was like, so what happened to her husband? Did he get shot? Is he dead? Mm -hmm. But um, I when we they talk about more why the white knight happened in episode three, so I'll wait for our deep dive then when we, we can talk about why the white knight happened. Okay, yeah, cool. Uh, it was just a badass scene. When she got that gun and she was just, she was just ready to go. I was like, this lady is definitely a superhero, <laughs> like 100 million percent, because she was on point. Because I've been, I've been in the fetal position crying on the floor. I was like, oh no, what's happening? <laughs> right, I like how she, she was, she thought on her feet, like really quickly, because time he came in, she dove in, snatched the plug out to take the lights off so he couldn't yeah. see. And I'm like, I, you know, my ass was just been there, just a fucking target for his ass. I'd have been right there in front of the lights. Like, here I am. You wouldn't let the chopper go. She had to get the little poker. She threw the poker from the fire. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. I'm just like, I never would have thought that quickly. I would have I been gone a long time ago. Yeah, she's been 100%. the whole life. She's been training her whole life. 
yeah, she ready to go. I'm like, I, they were like, oh, she's over here in the fetal position. Let's, let's shoot her up. I'm like, guys, <laughs> oh, <Right>. no. <laughs> oh, goodness. So, yeah, but we, uh, like I said, we, the only thing, only, when I first watched this the first time around, I was like, where the hell her husband go? I was just like, did they, uh, and I, mean, I thought he was just dead. So I just was like, oh, okay, and he's alive. All righty then. This is kind of bizarre. Um, <laughs> dumb, yeah. with this dude, dumb as a box of rocks. <laughs> <laughs> that ain't right. That's something right. Something right in Peoria, my grandma would say. <laughs> or something's wrong in Peoria. Um, so then the next scene, we see Angela. So when she and Will were at the bakery, she had given him a cup of coffee and she picked it up. And um, so he, she could get his DNA. So she, we see her going to something called the Greenwood Center for Cultural Heritage Museum. And it's a place where um, people can go, you can leave your DNA, and they can tell you if you are a descendant from someone who died during, um, during the Tulsa massacre. In this location, they call out specifically says, this is for people who are descendants of the people who died in that massacre. So this location is where she ended up going. Um, and I did a side note, I did not want to, I didn't want to gloss over this, uh, Dr. Henry, Henry Louis Gates, who um, is now in this in this world, the Secretary of the Treasury, and he like pops up on the screen and like welcomes them and is like, leave your DNA. Um, and we know in our world that he is a professor, he is a filmmaker, he's a historian. And I I started following him with um, with African American Live series where he you know goes and does genealogies of people, and I thought it was just so cool because you know I. I could, I didn't, I never thought to go and really trace my, myself all the way back to where my ancestors came to the U.S. I just know what port they came into as slaves. Um, so I really wanted to call out Dr. Henry Louis Gates because he is brilliant, a brilliant, brilliant mind. Um, and it was cool just to see him. Yes. So she goes and she gives her, D, her, her DNA, uh, gets it checked. Okay, do you guys have anything? No. No? It's a cool little side. I wish it was like a real thing like I wish we really could trace ourselves back that far yeah it's 1921 really is not that long ago yeah yeah it's easier to trace back but I wish we could go back to yeah, no, that I, like, I yours, your family came here from um Texas mm-hmm. and from my DNA I think it said mine came from Virginia okay like, that's what they were so I, I don't know where or who, or I don't have any of those details. It would be great to. Well, I, I guess I'm kind of scared. I'm kind of scared to take it. I'm scared to take that kind of test. Of like the furthest I can trace my ancestry back is to um, about 1867. And that's only because we're, my entire family is like buried in like the same lot in Montgomery, Alabama. So. Wow. Wow. That's interesting. I am paranoid. I, I I can't give my DNA to nobody until um, this administration is gone. Because <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. These, I don't know what these motherfuckers do. Listen, know. we we feel you a hundred percent. We feel you. Don't don't do it. I don't. I don't. And I'm not saying this to say tell anybody to do it. But I'm like him. This is a. It was a cool idea. The museum looked really beautiful. It would be great if we could do that. Um, but yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm not giving nobody my DNA. No no which way. No how. Uh, knowingly for for them. Unless it's my doctor and I, I signed a HIPAA. That's all we doing because I ain't doing nothing else. Um, but it would be it would be nice for us to be able to do that uh, to trace you know to trace our ourselves. And again, I'm I'm kind of like Marcus because my both sides of my family, other than my paternal grandfather, they all came through that same port. So, but you know, we don't we don't we don't know that. Um, and they definitely keeps black people disconnected from our roots. So, yeah. I like the way they did that. The museum looked beautiful. 
Um, so the next scene we get, um, Angela goes home after the museum as she dropped off her DNA, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, we see, we meet that the, the kid's biological grandfather, who is a racist piece of shit, um, who makes a snide remark, and he's like, your husband won't let me in, it's my visitation, blah, 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 and she was like, well, let me just write you this check and go on about your business, um, so then he kind of slithers away, and she goes in, in the house to talk to Cal, and a couple things that were uh, revealed is that Cal knows that she has not um, arrested the old man. I just, uh, I just wanted to go back to, to the uh, mm -hmm. grandfather real quick. Um, yeah. you, he was racist. He said, uh, oh, something about the red predations and that's an abomination. Uh -huh. And then he was like, y'all got a sorry. Now y'all want a, a, a handout or something. I'm just like. But you took the handout. Up. But you took Girl, her hand right, and your whole history has been a fucking handout from the government. Like seriously. Anyway, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to break up the conversation. No, no, that's no, that's a hundred percent. But but then but then we see like with that first, you see how racism is systemic, and you see how racism is ingrained in small children. With and that ties back into episode one, where the little boy in, in school said the same thing because he just hearing that from his you know grandparents and parents or whatever. So that was that is actually a good tie in. So Angela goes in the house after she pays this asshole off to leave her kids alone. Um, and Cal says, you know, you still haven't arrested the old man. And she's like, no. He, and so that, that's something I think that we all need to keep in front of our mind uh, because she has basically just had left this man <laughs> in her bakery um, and needs to, needs to book him. Um, he also says, uh, they bring up Dr. Manhattan. He's like, that old man is crazy. He thinks, you know, Dr. Manhattan can pretend to be a human. Um, and then Cal says, Doctor, we all know Dr. Manhattan's on Mars and he cannot pretend to be a human. Like, no, that's something that's so stupid. This old man is clearly crazy. So that's, that's two things I definitely uh, pulled out that we need to keep in front and top of our mind as well, that conversation. Mm -hmm. So she goes um, to her son Topher's room and uh, she needs to tell him that Judd has died. And so she tells him that, you know, he died and uh, his, his reaction is you, you kind of see that trauma that this child has gone through. Um, he's like, yeah, he was a police, you know, police died. Like in, his parents died like that. You know, his dad died, his mom died, they were killed. So he just kind of, she's like, you and I are different kind of people. We see things for their, how they really are. We don't see nice, cute, sweet things. We are people that are logical and this is how it is. But you can tell it upset him. He kind of knocked over his toys. And he took, what shook me on this scene is that he took it upon himself to tell his little sisters that Judd was dead. He's like, you don't have to tell them, you know, I'll tell them tomorrow. Just let them have the rest of the day. And I think that's like, I'm like, damn, that's a lot for a little kid to be like, you know, don't worry. I've been protecting, but I can see like, he's like, I've, I've been protecting them since my parents died. I, I saved their lives. So let me just, you know, give him that information. So it was kind of a sad moment. Um, did you guys want to say anything about that? I just want to say that boy gonna need some therapy. Uh, <laughs> lots of it. Lots of it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I watched an Easter egg video. That, the thing that that boy was, wasn't he building like a castle or something? Mm -hmm. He was building a replica of what Dr. Manhattan was supposed to be building on Mars. On Mars. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was really cool. Like what he was doing was cool. The magnets and things. Yeah. At first I thought he had powers because it was like levitating, but then I saw like the box of toys. And it's like, it's a toy. It's a toy or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was cool. All right. You said he gonna need therapy, little blanket. Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I well, don't know. The blanket's a little hard, and you know, I'm. That's why he gonna need therapy. <laughs> I don't know what kind of therapy he's gonna have to get. 
But I feel like, I feel like Lil Blanket, his name is Topher. Jackson, as far as this podcast goes, that motherfucker is Blanket Jackson. Lil Blanket Jackson. A little like Paul Blanket Jackson, but I'm like people like Blanket Jackson. If they if they you know get the get you know help, those are the ones that keep people alive. You know he's already proven that he knows how to think on his feet and keep his sisters you know living, and he's gonna be more like Angela and he you know than anybody. They they get each other. They get that they have that loss you know in common of losing their parents. So I don't know. Look, just don't just don't go to the dark side, little uh little blanket, please. Right. <laughs> he already went to the dark side. Didn't he beat that little boy up? In the but then, but then the was talking, he was talking mad shit though. So I think that's okay. I mean, he <laughs> was. And then his dad held him over a balcony. I mean, yes. <laughs> this baby has been through a lot. He's so. been through so much. <laughs> Poor baby. <laughs> Um, okay so uh the next scene um we see Topher and Cal are watching tv uh that night um we see all these like all we hear on the screen is like all these parental warnings and more reason for him to be traumatized (laughs) yeah like shit he's already he's drawn to the dark side like don't let him don't let him see Vader like let's just like don't don't introduce him to Darth Vader please Mm. um so they're watching it's called American Hero Story about kind of this masked man, masked superhero who wears a noose around his neck and he covers his face. And we find out his his real name before he died, or quote unquote, his name Ralph Moeller. So that's kind of what we see in him saving the day in, in this uh this little grocery store. Um, so that's kind of we see them watching that. And then Angela has decided to go visit um Jane, who is uh uh Chief Crawford's widow. So it's at her house and I guess she's kind of having like, kind of like a wake um, or uh, just they're holding space at her home. So she decides to go uh, to this, um, to this event and to pay her respects to her. And the first thing you realize, like the first thing I pulled out of this was that she was the only black person in the room. I thought that was strange, Mm -hmm. but I noticed it from the, from even my first watch, I was like, a nary black person in here, a brown person, like, like period. It was bizarre to me. Um, So I agree. Yeah, that freaked me out. I like, also it was like, at all. I was like, nobody's in here sad. No one is sad. They all just thinking it's like a regular party up in here. Yeah, it was very um, cultish, cult-like, is what I what I thought. It's like, uh, yeah. It, it okay. reminded me of that scene from Get Out when they're about to do the auction a little bit. Oh mm-hmm. God, yeah, yeah. I, I, woo, yeah. That, y'all know that scene, like, it took me forever to realize they were doing an auction. I'm so fucking slow. I was like, what are you doing? Are these people mute? It's like, what's happening? <laughs> I was like, dumb, dumb, they're doing an auction. I was like, oh, okay. I'm so slow sometimes. Help me out, Lord. Um, so we, uh, she goes into the gathering. She gives flowers to um, to the widow. And Angela gets to meet Senator Keene. And he is a U.S. senator who has passed the law um, to actually allow the police to cover their faces. Um, you can tell, like, he's like, just that, you know, senator, you know, uh, old blood white guy who just wants to take over the world or whatever. Um, but, you know, that bad southern accent, I hated that. So that kind of turned me off with his character. Um, and then we find out that uh, the chief's wife used to work with, work for him. So they also have that type of, that kind of relationship. So I was like, oh, okay, all right, we get it. Um, he's there to pay his respects. So they get to meet. Um, and then he kind of says, you know, and you know, you being an officer and all, she was like, no, I'm retired. So she's still trying to keep up her 
uh, persona and he's trying to break it, which I didn't. I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of weird, but whatever. Um, we see Angela faint. She faints, but it's actually uh, her uh, fake fainting um, so that she could get up to Crawford's bedroom. So the, her, the widow takes her up and lets her sit, lay in the bed and she's just, you know, kind of trying to, you know, get herself pulled together and wake up. Um, and she puts on her owl, owl glasses and goes into the closet and she can, they're like x-ray glasses. So she can see yeah. that behind a false wall, there's a mannequin, like a bust of a mannequin with the KKK hood and a robe on. And so she opens this pant, the false panel. She takes the, the hood and the robe out. And like my stomach just hits the floor because I'm like, bitch, run out of this house as fast as your little feet can carry you. I don't know what's about to happen. So she put, takes it and she puts them in her bag. Um, and she puts everything and she kind of sneaks out of the house. So before we move on, I kind of want to know what your guys' feelings were about this scene because I, I just, and I also put like, wow, the owl has a lot of inventions. <laughs> but I think Mar I'm going to leave that to Marcus to kind of tell us a little bit more about him if he has more information. But she puts it in her bag. How did y'all feel about her taking that robe? Um, did you think she should have taken it or left it? Like, what were your like feelings about all that? I didn't, I didn't know what to make of her taking it or whatever, but did um she was led there by um will like he said skeletons in the closet right yeah. isn't that yeah. why I, yeah okay yes so she took that literal and was like let me go and see what's you know in the closet she got in the closet yeah so he goes and does that R. Kelly. I, was, well, I was like i didn't feel like she was listening to r kelly but you know no no, no. she listened to will okay <laughs> i first thought it was strange because who puts a guest in your master bedroom? I was like, most time, like, if yeah. she fainted, you wouldn't take her all the way upstairs and put her in your master bedroom. Wouldn't you yeah. put her in, like, a guest room or lay her on the sofa in this lavish house? Yeah. So I was like, what's weird? Uh, but, okay, whatever. Maybe she just wanted her to be comfortable. But I'd be like, I'm laying in this dead man's bed? Like, okay. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, so I guess they, but I guess they needed it for her to get into the closet. Yeah. No, nah, the um, the glasses, the glasses, just like you know, like an Easter egg back to um, Night Owl. You know, uh -huh. he like uh, what do you call it? I guess like Elon, the Elon Musk of his time. But yeah, okay. Night, <laughs> Night Owl is like he um, one of the original Watchmen along with Doctor Manhattan. So okay, cool. That's so I'm like it just it, all the owl things seem to be that whatever the next technology or the newer technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course, Night Owls, I'm assuming he's in jail, but yeah, I'm pretty sure they just like took his technology and advanced it more. Okay. Why is Night Owl in jail? Well, you, you know, know, I'm new to this world, so why is he in jail? Isn't well, it for being a vigil vigilante? Vigilante. Yeah. Okay. I think we can get more into that, definitely with episode three. Yeah, definitely with episode three, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I just thought it was weird that she took it, took the hood and robe. I didn't, I was like, if, at first I was like, is she trying to, to protect the chief? Like she doesn't want other people to think that he's a bad guy because she really loves him. Was she going to run DNA? I was just like, what are you doing? Like, leave it there. Don't put your hands on it. Don't put your DNA on that. No, I, yeah. I mean, I think clearly she loves him and wants to protect him. Like even at the dinner table when he had the coat hanging off his nose, like. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. But well, that was a good scene. So now we know that Crawford, um, you know, is connected somehow to the to the Ku Klux Klan and that his wife is uh, good friends with this Senator Keene. Um, so we kind of figure that out. And then she only hang, they don't hang around other, other white folks. So I don't know. We'll figure that out. Yeah. yeah. So the next scene, I'm not going to really go into much detail. They are 
deciding to crack down and try to find all the people that were involved in uh, the chief's death. So they go back to Nixonville um, and they just start going, all the police and detectives go crazy. They're beating up people and dragging them out. And they threatened to, and this is so pertinent to today, um, or what we're going through in, in the United States today, but they were like, we're going to tear down your statue of Richard Nixon. Right. And I was like, tear that motherfucker down, bye. I was like, shit, this is a Confederate statue all over again. The motherfucker lost. Why are you building monuments to this one? Shit. To Richard fucking, to Richard Nixon, a traitor and a person that was impeached by, like, I'm just like, we're, we're just reliving, uh, you know, but, this, but you got to realize, this is an alternate universe where he, he won the presidency, there was no Watergate, none of that stuff. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. So it was crazy. I was just like, okay, tear it down, see you later. Um, but they're going nuts. And, you know, Angela's really not feeling, you know, kind of going in on everybody. And she feels a little bit, you know, torn. And uh, someone tries to hurt one of the detectives and she just starts wailing on him. But I feel like it wasn't, her necessarily wanted to just crack heads or crack skulls and we talk about police brutality and that's very pertinent to today but i feel like that's when she just kind of broke and needed she was i think she just kind of broke and was like i'm just going to start well on him because i missed my all this stuff that's happening so i just it was kind of a bizarre scene yeah man i just hate the glorification of police brutality that's all yeah yeah that's i'm like this show if there's not there's no other show more perfect for this time that we're living in right now than this fucking show right here I'm I, I just want to say even going back to the nixon thing where you just had roger fucking stone's sentence commuted this that motherfucker was- got a tattoo of nixon on his back <laughs> i didn't even know that i did not even know that yes like watchmen is so with scary like i'm scared to i'm scared to finish this rewatch and review because i feel like we're in some alternative universe where if we finish the review of the Watchmen, there's some other shit from the Watchmen that happened too i'm just like hey, <laughs> let's just keep reviewing y'all until until past the election that's what's gonna happen election night squid gonna fall from the sky squid man lord have mercy all right um yeah so we see them kind of crack down and they'll take it they're taking in suspects or whatever to to interrogate uh so the next scene we go back to our english state where we you know last uh, episode episode one we kind of met this person that they call the master um so he kind of is riding his horse around and looking in this beautiful estate and he picks a tomato off the tree and starts eating it so i was like we're not in kansas anymore because that's not where tomatoes grow <laughs> so <laughs> that's what i kind of like okay uh, so he picks it off and eats it and then he goes in the house and he starts preparing his staff uh who's you know excited about seeing him that they're going to be in this play called the watchmaker's son so we saw we met last episode um crookshanks which is the uh the lady and mr phillips which is a man so his maid and his butler so they're super excited about being in this play that you know he's so he's written himself it's going to be great so we go down and we see this play happening so the play is about john osterman who we find out through this play is um dr manhattan so he shows him that uh, how you know he's kind of playing out or or Phillips and Crookshanks, how John Wasserman became Dr. Manhattan when he goes into this, um, I don't know what, say it again? It's an intrinsic field generator. 
an intrinsic field generator and he has a, his watch in his hand that, you know, his father is a watchmaker and he has in his hand and he, you know, shows that he gets, uh, they burn up poor Mr. Phillips in this thing and he just gets all bur burned to pieces. And then you see another man kind of descend from the ceiling and he is now uh, Dr. Manhattan. So you're like, oh, okay. And I'm like, but you just burnt this guy up in this thing. That's just a lot going on. Um, I laughed so, so hard at that. I'm sorry. <laughs> huh? I, mean, I laughed so hard at that shit. Because at him burning up? Yes, because I was like, is he going to burn this man for real? And I'm like, yep. He's yep. going to burn this. And, and he just screamed. I was like, this yeah. shit is wow. Anyway. He burned him like straight up. And then, he, and then the way that, you know, uh, that, uh, the master is sitting there like watching the play like he didn't write like dude did you just write this and this is history like calm down like he's just so maniacal with it i'm just like oh it's a lot okay. he's quite cruel to quite cruel. whoever clone robotic people are yo yes. but i don't know if you're gonna get to this but then the other clone he was like don't worry you'll get to play um him next time and he was like yes. oh really like excited i'm like bitch did you just see what happened to yeah so why do you so want to do that <laughs> <laughs> guys there's a better way to live and you don't have to get burnt up <laughs> in this play right. um so we at the end of the play you see dr manhattan come down and yay dr manhattan has been created and people start the uh, people other people in the room start taking off their masks and different things and you see that it's just a lot of crookshanks and phillips like it's just all the same people and you're like what the hell then the dead mr phillips falls out and uh, the, the master goes up and he like pulls his fingers out. He takes the watch and this man is just burnt up and dead. And uh, like Mimi said, then another, another Mr. Phillips is like, I, I can't wait to play you. I'm like, you're about to be burnt to a fucking crisp, dude. We, this is not okay. Um, and at the end of it, have uh, some self respect. Dude, it's, it's a mess. It's, these poor people. These and you know, was almost out. Cause I was like, I don't know what the hell is happening. What's going on? What's going on? <laughs> I am very confused. I am almost done with this show. I don't know what yeah. is happening. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. Then you have the, at the end, uh, Dr. Manhattan, once he kind of descends from uh, the ceiling and he, you know, we get to see a naked Mr. Phillips that's all blue. And he says, nothing ever ends, you know, nothing ever ends. And that's something that the master repeats as well. So you see at the end, you have all, you know, all these crookshanks. And at this point I was like, they have to be clones, right? I was like, either animatron animatrons or they're clones or they're, you know, I couldn't figure out what it was because he talks really poorly to them, and, but they're so dedicated and devoted to him. And they love him. Yes. So you don't, we still don't know in episode two what the hell these people like creatures are really. So that, that, and so, uh, opposite of what uh, Kiki was feeling, I was like, I gotta watch this shit now. I gotta know what these things are. Like, I was like, oh, I'm in it for the winning. Now I gotta figure it out. That's how I was. I was like, I gotta see how this connects back to the story. And to yeah. me, it, his whole thing was the is the comic relief of the story because i yeah. i cracked up at most of his scenes oh it was a mess true yeah. evil <laughs> i guess it would be funny if you knew what was happening but again i'm coming to this having seen the movie i haven't read any books so i don't know what is going and you just jolted me from this super serious thing that's happening in tulsa to this crazy alternate <laughs> world universe i was like I'm so confused right now. I don't know what is happening. Yeah, it was crazy. I loved it. Marcus, you have anything to add? As no, a book I mean, the only thing, when, they, when he pulled the tomato from the tree, and then on top of the clones, that's when I came to the realization, this isn't taking place on Earth. Yeah, 
You're yeah. like, that's why I was like, not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy. Cause that shit was like, and I, it, it took me a minute. Cause I was like, if you get full of tomatoes and I had to rewind, I was like, I'm a tree. Now I don't know a lot about gardening, but I know that they grow on vines. This I can tell you. <laughs> so, that was, it was fun. So we kind of, that kind of ends that scene. Um, and he's promising the next, he asked, I forget what the guy's name, what he, the name he gave the other guy, the other Mr. Phillips. But he's like, oh no, you're the new Mr. Phillips now. He was like, oh, that's awesome. I got to be in this thing and get burnt the fuck up. I like it. Sign me up. So then that's all we see of the master and uh, Mr. Phillips in the Crookshanks. So the final scene of this of uh, episode two lands us back with um, Sister Knight and Will back at the bakery. Um, and she walks in and you see that, that uh, the handcuffs are just hanging on the thing. Will just sitting there in the wheelchair. He boiling eggs and he just puts his hand in the boiling water and just takes the eggs out and starts eating them. And I'm like, uh i got some questions and so she questions him like how did you even get eggs he was like i went to the grocery store and got some eggs and came back <laughs> it was, was just like he's a targaryen he's a targaryen he's a targaryen motherfucker leave and then come back with food and groceries <laughs> like, what and then he did, he was just not bothered like he was just like i'm gonna boil these good old eggs like this sounds like a great idea so he boils the eggs um, she questions him. He was like, yeah, I came back. And she was like, well, why did you come back? He was like, we weren't done talking. Like, what you, yeah, we, I'm not done with you. We are done here and right what we're doing right now. So he said he came back to talk to her. And a number of things that we learned in this scene um, is that Angela, um, Angela lets him, lets him know that uh, she went, you know, and went and found the KKK robes uh, uh, in Judd's closet. And that's when he laughs. He was like, I didn't tell you. He, she said, you said skeletons in the closet. He was like, dumb, dumb. I didn't mean literally. Like, it was, it, I laughed because he just looked at her so stupid. Um, I mean, I, I, I laughed because he said, uh, oh, he was like, what was in the closet? And she, and she said it. And then he was like, well, what floor? And he was like, because yeah. you know, I, you know, I can't go upstairs. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> you just hung a man. What you mean you <laughs> He said he was like, and you. I'm like, dude. You keep telling me you to hung hung my boss up from the tree. Now you can't walk up the stairs. You can pull that wheelchair up the stairs. What's going mm -hmm. out here? I it was shenanigans. Yeah, it was shenanigans. Okay, so um, yeah, so he she lets him know that he has the hood, um, in the uh, that he was you know had the KKK hood and um and cloak in the closet. Um, he tells her um that uh he has friends in very high places he says you know i have friends in high places i don't know who you are but this is what i this is what this is how i'm rolling and throughout the entire scene you kind of you see him kind of um it's almost like he's talking to you on a loop he's not really being 100 percent coherent he's asking questions about things they just asked so you know he's not all the way there but then at, at points he is i thought that um that uh is that louis Costa jr that plays yeah, yeah. He, just a he does a phenomenal job because I was like having a grandparent who has dementia. It almost reminded me of like when I have, when I talked to my grandmother when she was still verbal. Like they kind of remember what's happening, but then they kind of don't. So that was really it was a great way that he played that scene. So we find out he says he has friends in high places. Um, as they're talking, uh, an egg timer goes off and then the phone rings. So Angela picks up the phone. She's like, "Oh, shit, you know what's going on? Hello, you know." Picks up the phone and it's the museum calling her. And letting her know, hey, Will, you know, she, she, because she swiped his saliva to put in the DNA, it didn't say, hello, Angela, it said, hello, Will, because that's whose DNA that uh, the museum had. And they confirmed that Will has a descendant 
and come to find out it's Angela. So Angela is Will's grandfather that we find out in this scene. So Will tells her, you know, I came here to meet you. You know, I, I came here to show you who you are, like, and show you where you come from. Um, Angela, then she just is fed up. Like, it's too much shenanigans and tomfoolery at this point. She's had enough for one day. So she like, you know what, I'm about to take you in. You're going to be a book. So she goes out and she takes him to put it, put him in her car. She gets him kind of out of the wheelchair. And all of a sudden you see these lights from above. And um, as she puts him in the car, the this huge thing comes down and basically with a huge magnet pulls the car up into the sky and takes off. And you're just like, uh, what just happened? Nobody knows what happens. And then you see this note kind of float down and it's the letter that um that we saw that ob wrote saying please please watch out for this boy and the note that now we know from the beginning of the episode was nazi propaganda for the black troops to join with hitler so it was a cool tie-in we didn't know will is in the air he told her he had friends in high places so shit i don't know why she was that surprised because he was yeah. like it's time for me to go the egg timer went off but it's time for me to get on out of here so i thought it was a really cool ending to uh to the episode I, it, everything was perfect i adored this episode and loved every bit of it so, yeah how, how do y'all feel about that final i mean i'll jump in that last scene insecure kind of got again fo me focused on colors that scene mm -hmm. it's him and her talking in that dark in the um in the bakery and then yeah. the, blue, the blues and the green, and not the blues and the reds and the purples. It was, yeah. it was beautiful. It was, yeah, I agree. Kim was confused. Okay. Um, Kim's confusion continues for a couple more episodes. I finally get it together. But I was so confused. I was like, okay, half of this show is good and I understand. The other half of this mystery, I have no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm, yeah. Well, but I, I know I'm supposed to be confused because he's the writer. He yes. said I should be confused. So. <laughs> well, I was, I was confused, but but excited because I was like, I need to know where this journey is going because I have no idea what's going on. But I'm excited to continue on this journey because this, you yeah, know, this is interesting. It was hot. I loved it. I, I ended up in the way. The perfect way to end it would be for Will to figure out another way to to go wherever he gonna go. So I'm like, he been defying reality and, and the laws of physics in our world. This like, motherfucker like, hung a man and then said, "Now was it upstairs?" Because you know I can't post <laughs> it. Like shut up, shut the fuck up. Like it was comedy. It was great. Yeah. I loved. It. it was every every beat. There was no beat to me that was missed. And I love all of the tying back into the first episode. That's what I think I liked about the series so much is that it did every episode did such a good job of building on the previous episode. Mm -hmm. um, it never it never kind of skipped that kind of a beat. Uh, I thought it was it was just so comprehensive and so well done. I loved it. I loved it. Yep. Well, all right, that wraps up episode two. We made it through. <laughs> right. <laughs> so now we're gonna head over to episode three. Um, and it was, and I'm I, so sorry, I didn't say the title for the last episode, um, but this episode three's title is, uh, She Was Killed by Space Junk, um, which that I thought was, was so clever, which I thought was kind of funny, um, so 
<laughs> I am actually, and he does not know, I'm going to rely on Marcus a little bit more this episode because I don't know Lori, uh, our new character that we've been introduced to, a lot of her backstory. I know a little bit of it, but I don't know a lot of it. I'm going to ask you to uh, jump in to give us a little bit more background. Yeah. Um, I've been so, reading, so I know about Lori. Okay. All right, PDP. Hey, Kim, uh, go Kim. Kim, ready for the PD, the PDPedia. I like it. Look. And I didn't and 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 I did not I didn't read the PDPedias uh, when the show was on. I haven't and I have not so that I can just focus on the show notes. I I will tell everybody I have not read them at all. So please give us any information you guys have. Yeah, I, I'll just filter in. Go ahead. I don't know. I was gonna say all the title itself and me kind of knowing who that was when they referred to Blake as to her as Blake. I was like. Cause I've only seen a movie. I was like, oh, that's her grown up. So when it was like, she was killed by space junk. I just know how in the movie, he broke her heart really in the movie. And then how this episode ends, I was like, oh, I just, I love that double one song. Anyway, but. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was Sometimes you get killed by space junk. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, now that happens all the time. Just air and definitely airplane stuff and poop and stuff like that goes out. <laughs> it's terrible. And the last episode, um, uh, we'll put it in the note. We'll put the title in the notes uh, for you guys. But I know it was it was the episode two's title was uh, attached to the painting, the um, Apache <laughs> painting on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll put that in the notes as well. So we have she was killed by space junk. Um, we actually meet this lady of. Uh, that our new character is her name is uh she's fbi agent lori blake and she's in these little they have these little boots all over the you know the country or i guess all over the world where you can go in you can like pick up the phone and leave messages for dr manhattan because remember from episode two and one and two that dr manhattan is supposed to be on mars and he's just you know figuring things out, but that you can leave him these little messages to kind of connect in these boots mm -hmm. so what's really cool about this episode is that the entire episode she is telling him a very long story or a long joke in this boot so we kind of see the episode and then we go back to her telling him this long joke um throughout understand that i did not follow the joke um in my current notes if anybody wants to talk to it you are happy to do it i couldn't do that in the show at the same time even though it was very brilliant i do know the people that you're talking about i just couldn't do them both so <laughs> please chime in please feel free to chime in so the opening scene okay kiki I'll chime in. I, I believe this is this episode. Um, so it is a very long joke and it runs throughout. Yes. And top of her character and who she is, I just thought it was interesting that um, she's the one telling the joke. So it gives you a hint to her parentage. So mm -hmm. I also was uh, a good way to do that like, without yes. like specifically who she is. Um, and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Um, and then at the end, where the, at the end of the joke, um, I think it ties back to Cal talking to little blanket, little Topher about there is no heaven there. Like there's nothing. So yeah. I think those things, they, they actually tie together. Okay. Yeah. I was, I was kind of like, is this commentary on prayers going nowhere? Mm-hmm. The same yeah. way these people are in booths just talking to somebody on Mars who ain't on Mars yeah. at all. So. Yeah. And, then, and, there, and she was talking about, she was talking about uh, the people in her life, Dr. Manhattan, uh, Bite, and Al. Like, I mean, I, 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 got, I followed that much, 
but I just couldn't do, I'm like, I can't do you lady. And I need to see the cut with just her. I'm going to go on YouTube and be like, can y'all just give me this joke? Cause it was a very long joke. <laughs> yeah, and I guess it kind of, it kind of added on to what Kim said, like prayers going nowhere. I also think it plays. It's like pr people, people in that world kind of see Dr. Manhattan as a God. Yeah. So they're yeah. also kind of profiting off religion because you have to pay to use that booth. So yep. you, you, again, you're praying to no one and then somebody's profiting off your minutes doing nothing. Mm. Yeah, that's deep. That's a, that's a whole nother podcast. But yeah, don't totally get it. So we are introduced to, uh, to Lori Blake and she's in this booth kind of starting this joke. And we cut to kind of uh, her um, as an FBI agent and she is the head of a task, task force called the Anti-Vigil the anti-vigilante task force. So the people that run around that are, say that they are a vigilante like Batman or somebody, um, that's not allowed, that's not allowed uh, in this world right now because they've caused uh, bad things to happen and you've had the Watchmen and all these other things. So that which scene is being very- Which is <laughs> ironic that she's on the task force. Yes, it's <laughs> ironic, but it, but it also makes sense that she's on the task force because yeah. she feelings her, you know. And I right. guess we should jump in and just give her background now. So. Agent Blake, if she's she, not there, I want to. I want to say she's not the original Six Spectre, but yeah. she was one of the original Watchmen along with Doctor Manhattan, and they used to. I guess I don't think they were married. I think they dated. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. And that's in the Watchmen movie, correct? Yeah, that's in the Watchmen movie. So how is she? How is is Lori Blake the daughter of? another group of Watchmen as well? Yeah, yes. exactly. So before that group of Watchmen from the movie, there was an original group of Watchmen. And from that group of Watchmen, there was this original Silk Spectre. And then, of course, there was Hooded Justice. And really, all the, really the, the heroes that they highlight from the, um, in the American true hero story in the show, mm -hmm. that's kind of the original Watchmen. Okay, so it's a story within a story is what we're watching. Something like that. Yeah. Okay. And so, and so, so her parents are... Agent Blake, her she's the daughter of two of the uh, Watchmen from that group. She's the daughter of the original Six Spectre and the comedian. And it's like Kim said, it's ironic that the daughter of the comedian is telling this long, drawn-out joke. And oh, if yeah. I'm remembering correctly, isn't she the the product of a rape? Isn't yeah, that yeah, yeah, yes, the, yes, yes? The comedian raped the. the yes. Original comedian raped the original suspector, and she is the product of that rape. Yeah. Okay. So how is she? Um, and I, I'll, I'll bring. I'll bring. I have another question, but I'll bring that up just a little bit later in the scene. In this first opening scene. So we know to recap that Lori Blake is one of the members of the second wave of the Watchmen. She yeah. is a daughter of two of the original members, Silk Spectre and the comedian from the original Watchmen. Yes. That in our current story right now that we're watching the Watchmen TV show, the inside show is the American Heroes, and it's about that original Watchmen group of people. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Got you. And Lori Blake. And Lori Blake hey, uh, is. A and, and Lori, this is like part three. Yes. If you think of it like this, the yeah. Watchmen the show mm -hmm. is like the Watchmen part, part three. Yes, so we're we're watching we're watching phase three or uh, season three of the Watchmen. Really, <laughs> when you think about it, like because the movie would be the second, like the original Watchmen in the show, the hero, the American hero, right? American hero story. Then you have the movie, the Watchmen number two, and the Watchmen where we're watching right now is number three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, think about it. Yes, and Lori Blake is now 
um, she was involved in the girlfriend of of John Osterman when he was a human person that became Dr. Manhattan. And that's oh, when Dr. Manhattan oh, broke up. Well, she, Dr. John Osterman, he had a, he was, I think he was engaged to a woman or, yeah. or be married to a woman. But when he had the accident, you know, he became more, I'll say narcissistic or more detached from reality. And he ended up leaving her and getting with Laurie Blake. Got you. Okay. Cause in the movie, she, I just remember in, and this is not the same thing. Cause that's a totally different, different genre. But in the movie, the Watchmen that I saw, she knew she was dating him as John first. In no, the movie. no, she wasn't. She, she wasn't. wasn't. No, she, she was dating him as Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I thought I remember her. No, because she felt like she, it just seemed like she was so attached to who he used to be. So if you're saying that she only, she only dated him as Dr. Manhattan. Well, yeah, and I think the more times he spends, and the more time he spends as Dr. Manhattan, the more detached humanity he gets. Yeah, okay. the less human he becomes. And that's what their relationship. Right, because there was a distinct scene in the movie where they are having sex. Yes. She thinks she's having sex with him, and she really having sex with some. Mm -hmm. holograms or something he created he just yeah. sitting there looking at TV and she was like what the fuck you ain't even here dude like, yeah he was like I got work to do right. I got to do this I have sex with you right now right. yeah okay all right so I feel like now we're on the same page <clears throat> I am going to have a follow-up question once this scene uh, when I talk about the scene progressing okay. so we so right now Lori Blake is in a member of the FBI she's no longer a watchman she doesn't you know wear um, a cape or anything but she is uh, leading up the task force as anti-vigilante. Anti so it is against the law to be a vigilante and run out here trying to save people's lives. You cannot do it um, in current society, in this world right now. So she's at a bank and you see a, uh, they, they set up a sting basically to catch this vigilante and they, she ends up shooting him and he goes into, um, into the ambulance. Um, and she's just like, well, job well done. You know, you should have been doing this in the first place. It's against the law. So Lori Blake shoots the uh, mask uh, vigilante in the back. That is definitely a, a, a commentary on current day police brutality. So after that happens, we cut to a scene where she's at her house and she's just chilling for the night. And she goes and she feeds, uh, she gets home and she's putting on her music and she feeds an owl that she has in a cage, like a, a little mouse or whatever for dinner. And then she also has this briefcase, but she doesn't open it. Um, there's a knock on the door and um, Kiki. Also on her wall, there's a Warhol-like painting of all of the Watchmen. Watchmen, yes. Her group. Her. Yes. Yes. Okay. I have That's a question okay. for you, Marcus, when, when Mel comes to a break okay. on this scene. Okay. So, um, so yeah, so she has a cool uh, Warhol on her, on her uh, uh, painting on her wall with the, with the original, or, or the second group of the Watchmen, her, her team. So she feeds the owl, this little mouse, and she puts up her little briefcase, and she's about to have a good night, and the door, somebody knocks on the door. Here again, we see Senator King pop up and he is slimy old Senator. I never liked him from the very beginning. So he basically tells her, you know, I need you to go to Tulsa and investigate uh, Chief Crawford's death. And she was like, dude, I don't care about that. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not involved in that. Um, and aren't you the one that created the legislation for them to cover their faces? And she basically thinks it's such a stupid thing to do. And he says, yes. Um, he said, but I need you to go there because they think it's the Seventh Cavalry. I think it's vigilante. So that's how, how, how uh, Keene grabs her attention and wants her to go to Tulsa to, um, to go and uh, investigate 
the killing of, of Chief Crawford. So then he also says, um, you know, I just need you to remember, you know, that when I'm, you know, basically saying when I'm the president, don't you know that the president can pardon anybody they want, like get them out of jail and I may be able to help you, you know, and I'm like, again, very, you know, topical for today and yesterday and last week. Um, so she, he alludes to uh, some getting her owl out of the cage. So Marcus, I had to stop here because I don't know the history and why the owl, it seems like he's a great inventor. Why is he in jail right now? What, why, why is he in jail? What, how, like, what's going on with this? Because that's what Keen is kind of, Keen is alluding to the owl being in jail, but if he's president and you help me, then I'll, I'll help get him out. So help yeah, us understand. That's, that's kind of where I was, I was about to ask about, um, her involvement with the owl in the graphic novel, how much was it? Because I know what it was in the movie. Oh, okay. In the graphic novel, they uh, in the in the graphic novel they did they did the graphic novel they did also have a relationship. Okay. Uh, he Night Owl is of course in jail because it's a, against the law to be a vigilante. Mm-hmm. Um. So I think there was a point in time where both of both Night Owl and Silk Spectre they were both caught. But they offered them the opportunity to come work for the FBI, whatever. She took the opportunity, and I don't think he did, and that's why he's still in jail. Okay, okay, that makes sense. So then, but so Lori, but Lori wants him to be out of jail because he's her friend, or like how? What's Lori's attachment to him? Well, they have her once in the Watchmen movie. You know, remember once she broke up with Doctor Manhattan, she got with Night Owl. Ah, okay. So they have a relationship. Oh, okay. Got you. Okay. I was thinking about rewatching the movie, but I don't want to get confused. So I'll watch the after. I don't want to get, get confused. So help. Thank you for helping because I got a little bit, I didn't understand what was going on there. All right. So she has the owl and uh, Senator Keene is like, you know, if you go and, and, you know, handle what I need you to handle, you scratch my back, I scratch yours, then I can, I can get, I can basically pardon the night owl and get him out of jail. So that kind of piques her interest. So Lori goes to work um, the next day and her boss is, you know, they're kind of in their um, debriefing. Um, and, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, they're debriefing and uh, kind of, she meets Petey for the first time and he's kind of running the PowerPoint and the, her boss is like, yeah, this stuff is going down in Tulsa and it's the Seventh Calvary and we need somebody, I need you to go out, Lori, and, you know, basically snatch these people up and she's like okay i'll go and and he's like well, we'll put a task force she's like no, no 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 we're not going there with a task force i just need one other person which which is a smart thing to do because when the fbi shows up on the scene it can make everybody kind of go crazy so she says i'll take him and that's Petey. so we've now officially met Petey, who is the author of the companion piece of this season with the Petypedia um files that were um, um on the internet you could read uh, after each episode so he was kind of giving you the background we find out um um, so she's like, yep, Petey, let's go, me and you. Um, you and, uh-huh, yeah. So when, when, they, when they're doing this debriefing, mm-hmm. between, between that debriefing and what probably know what episodes one and two, we kind of understand why the white night happened. And I thought it was kind of um, not comical, comical, but kind of ironic. So the white night happened because the, what are, the red foundations or whatever, mm-hmm. I think they might have only been specifically given out in Tulsa, in that community. So a lot of pe- a lot of black people came to that community, and I guess I guess it might have angered white people, whatever. Yeah. Um, so the police in that community start abusing. And I don't, I don't, Kim, you can jump in if you want. It's in every state. It's in fifty it's states. Okay. Got you. Okay. 
So for what I'm thinking, the police in that community started abusing their power and kind of started racially profiling white people. Mm. There was like increased clan activity. So of course, by proxy, unfortunately, that the police started to target white people. Um, and because of that targeting is why they started doing, is why the, uh, I guess the 7th Cavalry did the white knight versus the policeman. So the, so the police started treating white people like they treat black and brown right. people and the white people like we ain't having this. We going we gonna to put these be seven cavalry. Yes. Or yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. I mean, the seven cavalry already existed, but uh-huh. that, that profiling that the police was doing and that increased harassment and brutality towards them is what forced them to take their act of the white knight or whatever. The white knight. Okay. I just like how the show and the story plays with these themes and the, this alternate reality of what could happen and backlashes and you know like I just I just really really like that it's just intricate and I don't you just don't see I don't see anybody playing with stuff like that you know at all so there's it's, it's just more evidence it's like what's there's a right way there's a wrong way and there's there's you know, always a pendulum swinging back and forth. Like just because you do it the right way doesn't mean that um, it always goes in a progressive direction. It's just the world is fucked up. <laughs> like I just, I just like that. So, well, I think thinking about the tie-in between the massacres. So I mean, we start the episode, and a lot of Angela's story is centered around um, the Black Wall Street and the massacre. Mm-hmm. And now she's involved in another massacre as a cop. First was by the Klan, and this is by the Seven Cavalry, which is like the Klan's little baby, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that how they tied that in together, I kind of appreciated that yeah. the theme. I mean, I, I mean, going back to David Lind- Lindelof. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. when, you, when you get a very diverse writer's room is when you come up with, like, these type of concepts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Really, ta- a lot of talent. This is, this is the product of a lot of talent, good talent being in one space. Yeah. And not being, and not being hushed. And I feel like HBO trusts, definitely they trust a little off. Like, they trust their writers. And that's why you do have so many good, that's why they are prestige TV. And they probably, and I don't know what the new thing's going to happen, but they are the, they are that, that. They are that bitch on the street, you know. They shouldn't mean. trust the double Ds, but that's a whole nother story. Well, we got a good couple of seasons out of that. That's okay. That's all. That's a whole nother pain. That's a whole nother pain um, that we have to deal with. Uh, it's another podcast. Um, so uh, we, so PD uh, is assigned to be able to go uh, with Lori to Tulsa. So we, the next scene we see um, PD and Lori on an airplane, and they're flying to Tulsa, and the captain comes over. Uh, kind of, you really, uh, you, the captain comes over and says, oh, guys, if you look out the window to blah, 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 to the left, you'll see the millennium clock. And this is the first mention that we've had of this clock. Um, they don't say what the clock is. They don't say anything. They just talk about the, uh, the inscription on the clock in that a lady called uh, Lady True, um, it's her clock that she's built and that she has bought all of this man called Adrian Bites companies. So you kind of get these teeny tiny pieces from Petey. So we find out also that Petey was a history major and he knows everything there is to know about the Watchmen. Like he is, he is the dude. He knows everything. He's paid attention. He's studied it. And he's kind of like, I'm sitting, you know, like if you meet a celebrity, you're like, oh my gosh, he's, this is like my best, 
the best celebrity crush. And like, so he's sitting across from one of the watchmen that he studied and kind of knows Lori Blake. So she kind of treats him kind of shitty or whatever. Um, but she does peep really, really early on that he does know what he's talking about. He does know the watchman. He understands what's going on. So they are kind of uh, flying. And he also lets, um, uh, says, oh, I, I heard that Adrian Byte um, isn't really dead. You know, somebody says, no, he's declared dead now in the U.S., but my friend said that he's been spotted all these places. So, you know, there's a man called Adrian Byte. You know, there's a lady called Lady True. And you know that Lady True has now purchased all of Byte's companies and she has built this clock this millennium clock, but that's all that we kind of know um, at this point. Mm -hmm. And then uh, because Petey knows who exactly Lori is, um, you, then you find out that Lori uh, knows um, Adrian Veidt. She knows uh, Dr. Manhattan. She knows all of the Watchmen um, and, and that she is one of these Watchmen. So that's kind of that unfolding of, I think the perfect writing for this scene is unfolding kind of her character it was just done in a really cool way because it wasn't just like this is who she is blah 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 right. it was like all these different layers. like she's an onion you know onions have layers like that's what i can say <laughs> so that that's kind of did you guys have anything to say about this scene or any back more background not, without giving away things about the millennium clock or um uh any of the people because I, I feel like this is just a good setup for other things that we learn um so their plane lands and Lori and pete arrive at this kind of like this kind of a scary warehouse place you don't really know what it is there's no there's no markings on it um and then uh they get out of the car well Lori gets out of the car say pd just stay in the car and eat these like sunflower seeds or whatever and so she gets out of the car like real you can tell she's a badass because she don't seem to give zero fucks about anybody she's very self-assured she's very confident she's like i know how to shoot i know how to do what i gotta do so she just like rolls up on this uh truck and you see pirate jane who is one of the, the police detectives that i couldn't remember her name uh, on episode one, but she was the one that flew the plane. Um, so Pirate Jane, huh? That's the chick I call Quaith. Quaith, yeah. <laughs> Quaith, and you see the Red Scare. Um, and they are kind of like taking somebody out of the this, uh, you know, unmarked van and they're about to take him in and Lori walks up like, is this guy, like, who is this guy? Sir, are you being hurt? And blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yes, they're uh, violating my civil rights. She was like, I don't give a shit. Like, that was so funny because she was like, <laughs> like, she was acting like she really cared and she was like, I don't give a shit about you. Like, whatever. Um, so she was like, I'm looking for looking glass. So they take her inside and you basically see this warehouse where they've taken all these people, um, from, Nixonville uh, we, that we saw last episode uh, and they're basically just interrogating all these people in this like unmarked warehouse and this shit seems very very illegal um, so she goes to Looking Glass and Lori like walks into kind of that you know that dome what is it called Marcus did you remember the name of that dome? Ah. He, the pod uh, yeah. that he was doing the questioning so she um, Lori Blake first uh, first of all calls him Wayne which is his real name which under understand in this world people are not supposed to know who the police are but she don't give a fuck she was like hey Wayne how are you she's like talking down to him she's like picking her teeth in his mask yes, yes. And I was like, oh, she's like she's like you, it's a it's a mirror you gotta you know people are gonna be wondering how they look like give me a break dumb dumb um, <laughs> uh, she asked a little bit about kind of what this is and Look, and she's really interrogating with Looking Glass because she's asking him um, uh, about what happened that night. And she, uh, he let slip that Sister Knight found the chief. Um, and she calls, she actually calls Sister Knight Angela. So now, now he's peeped that this woman who just showed up on the scene as FBI knows all of their identities probably and does not give a fuck. And this kind of unnerves him a little bit. So 
you just kind of see Looking Glass for the first time being kind of a little bit of taken back. And you see Lori Bates just being a badass. Like, she don't give a fuck. Well, I think if, if you notice when they were doing the debriefing, when she was doing the debriefing with the FBI, their names and aliases were, it, were, it, were in the PowerPoint. I didn't see that. I didn't know. So, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's mm-hmm. kind of like, it's not hidden at all. <laughs> yeah. No, wow. it was set up. They had that in the Rorschach. The, what's the journal? All of that was in the PowerPoint um, it, from the FBI. Yeah, I remember the worst the Rorschach page because Petey put it in there and they kind of called it out on a negative way. But I didn't see that they had their names, so that was that, that's that's something I uh, totally missed. They showed Judd and then they showed her. Mm-hmm. Oh wow, I'm gonna have to go back and look at that. So we see this happening. Um, so you just kind of see uh, Looking Glass trying to maintain, but he's realizing that she knows a lot. She knows pretty much everything. And then, then the fact that now he's given her even more information that he didn't probably want to give her from the very beginning about Sister Knight and, and that she found the chief. So um, the next scene, we are uh, going to uh, Chief Crawford's funeral. And um, the funeral is, you know, it's very sad. Uh, Lori Blake kind of walks up to Angela and her family and introduced herself, kind of in a kind of a rude, kind of kind of an alpha milk, I think, kind of way. And she gives her her card and everything. And you know, Angela's like, "Bitch, I don't know you. Like, we trying to get, we trying to bury my chief. Like, move on with your with your life." But she's like, "My," and I love. She's like, "My pager number's on the back." And I was like, "Oh my god, I forgot they have pages." That was really funny. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna go into more detail. Oh well, yeah. Well, you probably was getting to it when she was like, "What's the difference between a?" Um... Yes. Was it a vigilante and a... Um, she says, um, what's the difference between... Uh, oh, how do you tell the difference between a mass cop and a vigilante? Yes, yes. And she was like, she says, you can't. Yeah. That's when I saw Angela's, uh, you know, antennas raised like, oh, okay, this this bitch here, we gonna have some, some words later. <laughs> Yeah, but I feel like because they were they were doing a dance, uh, two alpha females, two badasses yeah. doing a dance, trying to figure out like, hey, I don't know you. Why are you approaching me at my chief's funeral with my with and, and when you do that to somebody with their kids and their husband, like she gonna be doubly on guard. Like she might pull a rifle out of her back pocket. I don't know. I don't. She's ready to go. And, and we also have to remember, I I, let, I missed that they had to re- they had to give their guns over at the um, gate before they came in to the funeral. Kiki. And I'm going to go into more of what happened. Well, what was also strange in this introduction is little Dum Dum, her husband, talking about, do I know you? Well, first of all, sir, what are you talking about? Do the, how do you know this lady? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. It's all a little strange. How, what, when, where, and why? Because I just stopped right there and be like, we need to go behind this tree over here, uh, blanket, watch your sisters. I know you can keep them safe, but I'm going to need to know, we're going to need to run down some facts. Because it's quite bizarre. So uh, Angela goes and she is set. She's told everybody that, you know, the, she and the chief uh, were really close. And they said if either one of them died, that they would give the eulogy at their funerals. And this is what they wanted. So she starts to sing a song. And um, you start hearing this, like, uh, seeing a, a cuts away. And there's this man who's crawling, like, under this tunnel. And you don't quite know what's going on, but you start hearing TikTok, TikTok. So the same thing that happened in episode one, when anytime that we had the cavalry on the screen, so far it seems like this TikTok of a clock has been going on. So the man 
um, she's singing and then this man kind of jumps out and he's like, I'm going to kill you. And uh, he tries, he has a bomb uh, strapped to his body. And he says, if you know, the bomb is attached to my heartbeat. So basically like, if you kill me, you kill everybody. And he zeroes in on Senator Keene. It's like, you're a race traitor and you help, you know, the cops and the black people. He's just mad at the world. So um, Lori Blake, who did, she gave one of her guns away, but as we saw her uh, get dressed that morning, she has a gun also on her ankle. She immediately, everybody at the funeral is just kind of taken back and kind of frozen. She pulls the gun out and then shoots the guy in the head. So he dies, but remember the bombs are attached to his heart rate. So then Lori, like nobody else does anything. Angela, again, badass fucking sister night, thinks on her feet. She throws the man into the, the um, hole in the ground that the casket was going to go in and pushes Jed's casket over the mm -hmm. bomb and then gets everybody back. And then the bomb goes up and blows the man up and blows Judd's casket up. So this is a really, another really great action scene. But I was like, all these police that are here right fucking now and nobody thought to do anything before Angela. Like, has this woman not been through enough trauma? <laughs> Shit, you train anybody else to do things? Like, the fuck? Right. I, I mean, it's a black woman, you know. They always, always saving everybody. No. We gotta everybody. We gotta all be kept save a whole all day. Yeah, gotta save the world all the time. Like, we exhausted, you know what I'm saying? I'm tired. But it was a really, it was a, it was a good scene. Um, I feel like just this, it was a good action. And the fact that she is that person that always thinks really, um, really, you know, thinks fast. And to me, it just seemed like Lori didn't think fast or far enough in advance. She just did that knee jerk. Oh, she no, I, don't think she gave, I don't think she gave a fuck. I don't yeah. think she didn't, she didn't care. Right. Cause she oh, was just like, no. normally they bluffing. Normally they just bluffing. They're like, exactly. what if you weren't bluffing? It, 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 <laughs> He wasn't bluffing. Like everybody would have been dead and blown up because of your 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 pointless action. Like she would have been okay with that. Yeah, she would have been okay. Yeah, she's like she's yeah yeah she'd have been okay with that. Mm. Did you all notice that all of the policemen were black, pretty much, or people of color? All of the all of no. the patrol officers. I, I didn't notice that. Mm. I noticed that quite a few of them were. Mm. When yeah, you take the fact that nobody else was black at uh, the chief's wake even more. Stands out even more. Mm. Yeah, I did. I did notice that. But I will go back and pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah, because something something that I was listening to because I noticed it at the time, and so I was like, I wonder what this is about. Is that after the massacre, um, after the White Knights, um, white people did not want to really be on the police force, but black people could and wanted to, and people of color because they were going to be fighting against the seventh cavalry, which I just thought interesting. Yeah. Wow. That's deep. I just love this alternative world, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so Angela saves the day. Uh, Lori shoots the guy. Angela saves the day by keeping everybody from being blown up. And then Senator Keene kind of looks like the wounded, you know, oh, he, he was trying to kill me and, he gives a news, he's like posturing to the news people or whatever. So that's the end of that. Um, that's the end of that uh, kind of section. So then we go back to, to our friend on the estate, you know, we go back to the English beautiful countryside where we see the master kind of in the house and he's fixing things and kind of making things. And 
making like boiling uh, leather and all this kind of stuff. And he's getting uh, Mr. Phillips kind of suited up for some kind of experiment, but you don't see what it is. So, um, you know, Mr. Phillips is excited and he says, you know, I don't have any doubt, you know, in you, you know, um, master. And then you see the master say, you know, you're incapable of doubt. You know, just kind of just like he just demeans them so much. I'm like incapable of doubt. What the fuck are you talking about? So just those little the little ways that he is kind of demeaning Mr. Phillips and uh, Mrs. Crookshanks. It's just it always kind of stuck in my mind that he does not see them as human beings. Like we're seeing them as whatever they are, or kind of humanoids. So uh, the next thing you see is he's getting them ready and uh, he puts his hood down. And then the next thing we see is that. Mr. Phillips is just kind of frozen solid on the ground and he's, he's dead. Another, you know, there goes another Mr. Phillips dead. I'm sorry, Phillips. He's knocking him off, boy. He's knocking out of Mr. Phillips. He's Louise. <laughs> then, you know, uh, then you see he gets, so the master gets upset. He's like just stomping him and just taking his rage out on him. I'm like, good Lord. So the experiment that he was doing clearly failed and he's mad. He's just, just stomping him. Then you see that another Mr. Phillips come up like, Man, that's terrible. <laughs> what happened to, my, to me? <laughs> it's really bad. Damn, I died again. I died again. <laughs> oh, dang. Then he says, uh, the master says, oh, you know what? I think, you know, uh, we need a thicker skin. So then you see him um, go and he gets uh, his bow and arrow. He gets on his, on his horse and he shoots a herd of buffalo. And um, for people that don't know, buffalo were uh, hunted to extin extinction by the white settlers um, um, in the Southwest. Um, and the buffalo aren't just all out, like, you know, in, a, in anywhere in the world right now. They're kind of like on reserves and they're protected. Um, so he goes and he shoots him with an arrow. And then you see this masked guy um, that's, that we find out's name is the game warden. He shoots a bullet at him, but he, you know, shoots like a warning shot. He doesn't shoot to kill. And you're like, oh, goodness, like, what the heck is going on here? This is the whole situation. Uh, so then... He goes back and uh, he basically is, he said he needs a thicker skin, so he needs the buffalo skin um, to what, create whatever this thicker skin for his next experiment. So then we see him back at home with Mrs. Crookshanks and she comes in, she says, oh, the, you have a letter from the, the game warden and we, the game warden's letter is basically a warning like, you know, you're in captivity here and we have rules that you have agreed to and you've broken those rules. If you break them again, you know, we're going to put you on trial like you're going to, you're being in big trouble. He was like, I don't give a shit about this. We're about to write him our own letter. So Crookshanks is writing him another letter. It's just, at this point in this scene, I didn't know what was going on so much the first time I watched it. I was literally just like, I, I'm, I'm along for this crazy ride and I, I'll take it. I don't care. Um, so then at the end of this scene, um, he was like, you know what? I'll, I'm going to go out at midnight. Get ready, Crookshanks and Phillips. We're going out at midnight. And you see this man gets uh, suited up in this purple like cape and this armor and like he's becoming this what looks like a superhero, right? But we still don't know who he is. We still don't know who this man, what his, you know, what, who he is or what he is. And then it kind of cuts from the scene. So, uh, Kiki. We do know who he says who he is. Oh, I'm sorry. He when does. He signs the letter. When he signs, yeah, he signs the, le the letter Adrian Vice. Vite. Adrian Vite. So uh, that's what, uh, I'm sorry, that he signed the letter Adrian Vite. That letter was sent back to the game warden. So then we see Adrian Vite um put on this armor but do we say does he doesn't say who he is once he puts his his outfit on right we still don't know his character his other alternative character is at this well, point well you kind of know who the well, character yeah. is. 
says yeah, you know who Adrian Byte is, you know he's Ozymandias, so it's kind of okay. okay. I didn't know if we're going to say it. So you see Adrian Byte become Ozymandias um, in his uh, outfit or his Cape Crusader, you know, a, a vigilante outfit, um, and then we kind of cut uh, cut the scene. And then we get to our, uh, basically one of our final scenes. Um, we get, uh, uh, we see, we go back to the graveyard. Um, and what's happened at the graveyard is Angela is like down in the hole that the seventh cavalry guy uh, climbed, he like dug and climbed through and, um, to get the bomb uh, to Judd's funeral. And she's trying to, you know, figure out what's going on. She got on her owl glasses again. She get them on deck. So she's trying to figure out what's going on. And then Lori, you know, kind of walks up and she's like, you know, still being an asshole. Uh, but she brings her like, oh, here's a cup of coffee. We're good girlfriends. And, you know, we're great. Um, Lori then un unveils that she knows that there was uh, somebody in a wheelchair at the, uh, the scene of the crime. She says, I saw tracks. And she was like, yeah, a car, a truck. She was like, no, I saw wheelchair tracks. And she's like, okay. Angela's still cool as a cucumber, which I love. Yeah. Um, and then she says, I also know about Judd's secret compartment in his closet. She, and then, so Angela still don't, she don't crack. She, I mean, face red to go. She don't, she still doesn't let, she's like, oh really? Like, what do you, what, huh? And, uh, and um, Lori, Lori tells her like, yeah, you're not, you're not the kind of person that faint ever so I know that you want to get into that bedroom for a reason um and so she so basically she's letting Angela know she knows that there's something else going on Angela is a part of it and she gonna figure out what the fuck going on so then I would have been like bitch bitch you don't know me you don't know how I faint I might have had some <laughs> bad cheese that night you don't know how you know so and that's why you are that's why you are not a cra a cape crusader so like you would have gave up all the information we, I would have been mad just come up in my space telling me how i am you just met me today <laughs> you don't even know me like that <laughs> so then angela so then angela is like she's so unbothered by this shit i mean her face is unbothered but you know she's probably like oh shit i just i gotta figure out what you what i gotta do with this bitch so she takes the coffee and i love this i love this shit she takes the lid off and just pours the coffee on the ground and was like, and vice. And wait, wait, wait. That was after Look. that was after Blake had said something kind of threatening. And this was my favorite part right before that. And Angela went, ooh. ooh. Like, <laughs> right. She was like, I'm so like, ooh, I'm so scared. You're right. Really she was like, bitch, bye. Boy, bye. That was like my favorite. Uh that that was my favorite part of the episode. Like that was really that was really good. Her being not bothered. <laughs> That I love Jean Smart and Regina King together. Yeah, they are good. Like, yeah. yeah, they are so good together. Yeah, they're you see good. You you're like I'm like they teach you a class in acting. Like these two people right here are teaching you how to act. Right. I love that shit. It was like um, the unstoppable force meets the immovable object as far as their characters' personalities. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. So um, we cut to that scene. So we know Angela did. She didn't give up anything uh, to Lori. She just basically at coolest cucumber. Like she didn't know anything and just let Lori tell her. All Lori did was confirm that to Angela that she knows more than what Angela, you know, thought she knew. Or Angela didn't cover the tracks as as well as she uh, thought she had. Real quick yeah. question. Uh -huh. So to me, I felt like Blake thought that the chief was a vigilante. At that point, she. Like what was in the closet was he? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's what yeah. I felt like. Not yeah. a Klansman that never crossed her mind. I just thought that she felt like he was covering up like a vigilante lifestyle. Am I the only one who thought that? Or I thought that too. Okay. Yeah. 
because because there's nothing there's nothing to tie him back to being a Klansman, right? Except for that case, for the for what Angela Angela has in her possession. So, right, they don't even know. Yeah, yeah. it was really it was really well done. Um, so then we end the episode. Lori is, um, you know, she's been in the the episode activity is actually parallel to her telling, uh, like we said at the beginning, this very long joke in the booth to Dr. Manhattan. So now she's finishing up, you know this long joke and she's you know talked about she was the girl that threw the book brick in the air but again i'm happy to let kiki explain that shit to y'all because i am i'm all the way lost and that's okay with that in my life so then she you know has a tear coming out of her eye because she's like yeah you're probably not even there you know um you're listening to this and she basically is just doing something that's trying to give her a little bit of comfort but it really is self-destructive behavior um and she finally hangs up the phone and goes outside and she's like Oh, well, blah, blah, blah. And then you just see Angela's car fall out of the sky right in front of her. Like she was about to be squished by this car. Mm -hmm. And she just busts out fucking laughing. Like I would have had a a heart attack and a mental breakdown right there if I got squished by a car that fell out of the sky. But she just burst out in laughter. And that's how how we end the episode. So I mean, the joke, like the joke was the little girl threw a brick up there. Right. So it's mm-hmm. just comedy to her. It's, yeah. It was, and then yeah. she felt like she felt like he was listening or he heard that. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. So she was like, Oh, I'm attached now you attach me, but I'm like, no, that's no. <laughs> don't believe the, don't believe the hype, ma'am. Don't believe the hype, ma'am. Um so we yeah, so that's how it ends. We see and where where we saw episode two, Angela's car being taken into the air, episode three ended with Angela's car being dropped back on the ground. Do we think though that Dr. Manhattan Dr. Manhattan was listening? No. I thought so. I I did think so, yes. I, you don't think so? I think Dr. Manhattan I may thought have something I thought, to do with this. I thought at that point, I didn't know I didn't believe he was on Mars because too many people kept saying he's not on Mars. I, I didn't know who was listening. I thought it was either him or something, whoever picked up um Will with the little magnet thing mm-hmm. in control of it or or something. I didn't really know what was going on. I just I thought it was just funny all tied in together like that. I thought it was I thought it was the first my first watch. I thought it was Doctor Manhattan being like, "Oh, I made her cry today. Uh, she told me this really long stupid story, and let me <laughs> let me let me give her a bone." You know, like when you're like in an abusive relationship with somebody that doesn't really want to be with you, but they're like, "Oh, let me give this person a bone." Blah blah. Like we dropped this car. I when, I, when I realized it was Angela's car, that's when I was kind of mm-hmm. like, "Was it Doctor?" Because I remember like he would need a magnetic, you know, instrument to uh-huh. pick up the car. So that's kind of why I was like, well, I don't know if it was him or whoever it was that picked up this car. <laughs> so I, I, that's a love letter. It's a love letter to you, girl. That's a, he loved you. He really loves you. <laughs> Someone was listening to this joke. Someone was listening yeah. to this thing. Yeah. Just that's, a, that, that's that I can see the love. You know what I'm saying? That's that <laughs> I can see the love. <laughs> Drop a hot call on your ass, bitch. I love you. Drop a car on you. <laughs> I told you I love you. Right. Marcus, what did you have any, any closing thoughts? I didn't. I didn't know what was going on with that car scene. I just knew it wasn't Doctor Manhattan, though, because I don't know. He he's too detached from reality. I'm not not reality. He's too detached from humanity to give a fuck about like people praying in phone booths. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, Wait, someone. The government. Mm-hmm. The government. 
I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, it was just a perfect, like all three episodes. I love how they tie together. I liked any of the Easter eggs that I was smart enough to pay attention to. Um, I wish I'm going to, I just want, I'm going to have to go to YouTube. I'm sure somebody just took our whole entire joke and made that and cut it. They had to cut it some way where I can just listen to that. Um, cause she was talking about, I mean, the three people were the owl, uh, Adrian Veidt and Dr. Manhattan. And then she was, said she was a little girl. So I was like, I, I followed that much, but I'm like, I just want to hear it all in one piece. But I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. And I loved that. And I love the female leads. The joke just isn't funny. The joke is sad. There is a, that joke, there, that joke is based on an original, an original joke. I forget how it goes. It, it has something to do with throwing a brick or something in the air. Mm-hmm. And then you tell it, and then by the time you finish, the brick has hit, hit the person or something like that. I forget how the original, the original one goes, but that's what it's based on. So yeah, I loved it. I thought it was great and excited, and very and very uh, current right now. Even though it was what was this nine months ago, but we still living in that world, guys. <laughs> Unfortunately, this shit is our every day. But like when I when I kept saying that, I love how it's playing with ideas of um the what if the more liberal agenda you know got passed in in the country and in different places because every you know every time in this country black people have made a step forward in something there's always always a backlash like it's like we fight to get certain things and then we get it and then there's a backlash you're like fuck we didn't know the backlash was going to be that. And I'm just like, this show plays with all of that. Like, what if there were reparations? What if there was the reverse of, you know, um, the police brutality and then the black people were signing up to be like, it's just, and, and, and that this alternate reality where those things happen is fucked up. <laughs> like that, this shit is fucked up. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the answer, Sway. Like, I had answers to none of this. I had answers, like, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we ain't got none to answer, Sway. But yeah, it's, yeah, this is, uh, I'm, ha- I'm happy that we're being able to, to rewatch this now, but it's, it's a, just a phenomenal show. Hey, period. Like, hey, this is really showing that it's timeless. I mean, who would have thought the backlash to Obama would have been the shit we got now? Now I'm just like, damn. Shit. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't I don't know. It's just like fuck. I feel like I feel like what irritates me the most, and I and I the person that says this the best, um, the two people is Dave Chappelle that under that tell you about this or explain it and um Michelle Obama. Because I don't look at it as white people doing this to us. Black people should have showed up at the polls like we did for Barack Obama for those eight for those for that eight years. And that's where we got lost. Um, and I understand gerrymandering and all these things now, but I feel like as of today, with everything that this man, this nut, has meant for bad, all the things that he's so stupid that he has revealed to everybody about how things are, 
then there should we shouldn't be sitting at our houses. We should be taking the government down brick by brick. We should be taking everybody's house down. I mean, brick by fucking brick. If I was a parent, I would be wanting to find Betsy DeVos's house and take it down brick by brick by, for wanting to put my children at risk. And now knowing that how, what gerrymandering is, understanding that Jim Crow never died. It never went away. This shit is on a whole other level right now. So that, that's it. So we, we have all this information. It's what we as people of color do with it now and how we fight. But that, I said, Dave Chappelle says it the best during that first comedy special. And there's a lot of triggers in it. But he said when he went to the polls that day in, in when he was in, Cle in Cleveland, Ohio, he saw all of the white people oh, with, yeah. with the with the American flags and they and the Confederate flags and the hats and they mad. He's but he didn't see us out there like we were those right. those, those I, previous elections. So I we gotta be out there. Young people gotta be out there. Black and brown. We have to be as a nation ready not to die because of Donald Trump's craziness right. and, and this man's mental fucking illness and the evil of white white supremacists. Well. We kind of got off topic, but we really didn't because everything in Washington is fucking relevant to 2020, which again, I reiterate, has scared the shit out of me because now I just don't, I, I'm looking at the Washington like, you know, this, this is my crystal ball. Like, okay, what's going to happen? Let me go, let me turn back to HBO and see, and see cause this shit is, this shit is happening. So you got your rifle right here, Mimi, your rifle right there. Just so you can do it like this. I need to add a compartment back here so I can just get the rifle out. You know what I'm saying? So just do like the old folk. My, you know, my granddaddy had a rifle by the door. It was one right by every, when you come up there and have acting foolish and Tom Fuller and shenanigans, you gonna get shot. That's how old people used to do it. Right by that door. That's how, that's how my dad would do it. So yeah. My dad walking around the house with it on his person. I said, you know, you in the house, right? And he was like, yeah, you're in the house with us walking around. But you know what? Looking at what happened to Breonna Taylor. I mean, look at what happened to Breonna. Like, that's the thing. Like, you can be in your house and get shot up by these people. Hey, you know? stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. If you stay ready, you got to get ready. That's true. So I'm, a, I'm, you know, I'm too turned up right now, so I'm going to go ahead and put, I'm going to hold off on that rifle and them shotguns because I'm going to come to me from the jailhouse. My nerves a little bit too bad with, these, with Karen's right now. I can't do it. I don't, I don't feel like doing nothing crazy. So let me sit down and just call it a day. I know, cause I just, I just bought t-shirts. I can't buy no free mail t-shirt right now. <laughs> yeah, please don't get me out the jailhouse. Please can't do nothing to nobody. They provoked her, Lord. You saw the You saw the video. <laughs> What would you do if it was me? Please, girl, please go help me, girl. I'm turned all the way up. I'm like, uh-uh, over here at these streets. And I'm like, again, I'm just like, all this shit for absolutely not because people don't want to wear a fucking mask, dude. I'm like, it's just outlandish. It's just fucking outlandish, dude. I, we just don't want to do it. And I'm like, they, at this point, they giving masks away. Like, I'm like, all you got to do is just put it on. Put it on your face. And if I can't wear big-ass glasses and an asthmatic, can put a mask on with fucked up sinuses. Like you can put a, anybody can put a mask on and run out here and get these errands done. Right. But when you go, when you go to the, when I go to the store, people not really you know. I go in the morning. Old people wear their masks. I go with the old people go at the Walmart at, at eight and at seven. But then at about noon, that's when the young folks come out. They ain't fucking around with no mask. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why I say it's time to be to go on to the house. I go ahead and put my get my my bag and go on to the house. But now it's time to go. We need to sign up for AARP. You don't have a committee. 